You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Isn't it amazing? Sometimes when we ask God uh, for help, uh, he sends it in ways often that we don't understand uh, the help that God is sending. And uh, we oftentimes kind of, we don't cooperate um, with what God uh, is doing. John the Baptist kind of seemed to uh, learn a very, very important um, spiritual truth in his relationship to Jesus that I think we would be really wise to learn as well. And it's found in John 8, 30, where uh, Jesus kind of makes this, uh, where John makes this confession. As, can I get a light up here? It's really dark up here, and I'm having a hard time seeing up here. So if someone can flip a light for me. It's, yeah, I, I think the bulb is out, so I don't know if there's a way we can flip a can on or something up here for me. So anyway, here's kind of what Jesus, or, uh, John uh, said. He said, he, and he's referring to Christ, he said, he must become greater and greater, and I must, and again, I, I think it's important to emphasize the must there. It, it's, it has to happen. And he said, I must become less and less. And John understood for Christ to become greater and greater in his life spiritually, he would have to become more and more, um, die more and more to himself. And that is the battle. That's the tension I believe every Christ follower faces in this life, especially um, for those of us who really take our walk with Christ very serious. There can um, only be one who is greater in your life, and it's either going to be you or it's going to be Jesus. There's only going to be one person who's kind of sitting on uh, the, the throne in your life. It's either going to be you or it's going to be Jesus. There's going to really be only one person kind of calling the shots in your life. It's either going to be you or it's going to be Jesus. And I, I will tell you, either one of those that you choose, there are outcomes um, that will happen in that. When we choose, and again, I emphasize that because it is a choice. When you choose uh, to become greater and greater um, in your life, um, there are outcomes to that. And when we choose to allow Christ to become greater and greater in our lives, it is a part of the process where I believe that God uses that to make us more and more into the image of Jesus. Jesus denied himself, and that's important to remember. Uh, Self-denial, it, it's, it's a choice. It, it is a pathway to freedom. A lot of times when we hear that word self-denial, we, we kind of bring with that kind of some very negative connotations, all right? Uh, it's kind of like the word repentance. We don't like that word, that there's just something negative about that word. And, and so, again, to me, self-denial, it is one of those words um, that, that it is, it's a good word. Uh, you know, we talk about that, that, that helps a lot. Thank you. 
So when we talk about, you know, self-denial, again, there's just a very negative aspect that comes from that. When we talk about the word repentance, but remember what Paul says in Romans 2.4. He says that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. So there, it, it's a positive. It's a good word. And self-denial, it's a good word. And again, it is the pathway to freedom. And, and so Jesus models this himself. And as a part of that process uh, of developing his relationship with God was, was self-denial. As Christ becomes greater and greater in our lives, it is then that we will do the same things that Jesus did. As a matter of fact, the word says we'll not only do the things that Jesus did, we'll do greater things than Jesus did. As Christ becomes greater and greater in our lives, this is where we will become more and more powerful witnesses of Christ, sharing Christ um, to uh, uh, sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, allowing Christ to become greater and greater in our lives. And there are so many benefits and blessings that come with that. However, when we choose to put self over Christ, when, when we make it our, 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 uh, uh, our vision, our goal for life to become more and more and for Jesus to become less and less. Again, there are outcomes, there are results, there are consequences that come with that. We will become more self-centered, we'll become more inward-focused, we'll become more self-centered, where it becomes all about me, what I want, what I need, and less and less of what Christ wants for us. And sadly, over the last few decades, Americans have become a more and more self-conscious, self-serving, self-obsessed society. And we even see that permeating in the churches today, all because we've made the choice, and again, it's a choice, to make it more about ourselves, to make it more about us, and less about Jesus. And the baby boomer generation, we were rightly kind of labeled the me generation because it was all about me. We're preoccupied with ourselves. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Second Timothy chapter three, verses one through two. It says, in the last days, we're in the last days. And I wonder if we're not in the last days of the last days. But Timothy says, in the last days, it's going to be very difficult to be a Christian. He says, for people will love only themselves and their money. And again, these last few weeks, we've kind of been talking about how to live godly lives in a very ungodly culture. And, and every day, it just seems to be getting more and more ungodly. And I'm convinced if we are to effectively live godly lives in today's culture, we must overcome the desire and the temptation we are faced with to live lives that are self-centered. There are three very popular forms of self-expression in our culture today. And they have really all existed, you know, since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. And it's existed in varying forms and degrees. And what's interesting about this current culture is these three forms of self-expression have unfortunately taken on an element of extremism and violence. And that's becoming more and more common. 
Antifa, Black Lives Matter, we recently see Ruth sent us, um, are all manifestations of this recent extremism and violence. So the first of these uh, three forms of self-concern is individualism. Individualism says, I don't need other people. I can make it on my own. I've got to do what's best for me. And our motto, you know, we hear this a lot, is, you know, you've got to pull yourself up by the bootstraps, okay? Their theme song is, you know, Frank Sinatra's, I did it my way. That kind of really uh, encapsulates this idea of individualism. And one of the ways that individualism manifests itself in people's lives is that we tend to be less and less considerate of other people's needs and feelings. And, and again, we can kind of come off as unfriendly and distant. What's the cause behind that? Proverbs 18.1 says, an unfriendly man pursues selfish ends. In other words, he really only thinks of himself. The second expression of self-concern that we see a lot in our culture today is secularism. Okay? Secularism says God doesn't matter. Absolute truth doesn't exist. We'll say, you have your truth, I have my truth. And I've discovered for most people, it's not that they don't believe in God, they just think he's irrelevant. Most people that live around us, they don't deny that God exists, they're just not interested in him. They ignore him. They don't need God. Lately, I've been hearing people uh, kind of refer to God in, in a very mocking way as the make-believe sky daddy. And anybody been hearing that term that's just becoming more and more popular? Oh, you just believe in that make-believe sky daddy. Job 21 verse 14 says, the wicked tell God to leave them alone. They don't want to know his will for their lives. They basically say, God, you stay on your side of the fence. I'll stay on my side of the fence. You don't bother me. I don't bother you. You handle the world. I'll handle my own life. Psalm 10 verse 4 says, a wicked man in his pride, and that's a manifestation of pride. It says a wicked man in his pride thinks that God doesn't matter. The NIV version says it in this way, in all his thoughts, there's no room for God. And the more and more our, our, our culture becomes secularized, the less and less room there becomes for God. And we can become so full of ourselves and so full of pride, and the result is, is that we don't have any need and any room for God. The third form of self-concern is narcissism. Now, narcissism can, can reflect and be a lot like individualism. The main difference is the individual tends to keep to themselves, whereas the narcissist is always looking for others and needs others to kind of feed their endless ego. The individual may say, you know, I, I see myself um, as great. The narcissist needs other people to tell them how great they are. Both the individual and the narcissist are focused on self. However, the narcissist has a very high need for attention, for affection, and they will often go to great lengths uh, to get it. The individualists are usually fine with few or no relationships, 
whereas, you know, the narcissist is someone who has a great need for a lot of relationships, albeit those relationships are very superficial and they're often very self-serving. In other words, I have a need that you can meet, and as long as you're meeting that need, I have a need for you. That is the narcissist. Psalm 36 verse 2 captures the narcissist very well. It says, in his own eyes, he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his own sin. Doesn't see it. He's blinded to it. And again, whether it's individualism, secularism, uh, narcissism, anytime a society becomes consumed by those characteristics, again, there are outcomes, there are results that, that come of that. So what are the effects of preoccupation with self-expression in our society? The first effect is you'll often see disintegrating families and marriages. Not too long ago, a study was done uh, nationally called America's Search for Self-Fulfillment. And they went through and they uh, interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people. And one of the things they discovered was among married people that were interviewed, those who devoted uh, those most devoted to their own self-fulfillment were those having the most trouble in their marriage. It's interesting to note that the marriage rate has been falling every year since the 1970s, and we are currently at our lowest rate ever for the number of people getting married. Again, the more self-obsessed, the more self-focused and self-reliant we become as a culture, the more likely we are to either not get married or if we do get married, not to stay married. It's also interesting to note that birth rates uh, in the United States have declined every year since 2007, just as they have worldwide. I mean, we see it in the United States, we see it in the world at large. Again, the more self-consumed we become as a society, the less time and interest we will have in marriage and family. The second effect is superficial relationships. I've got no time for closeness, no time for intimacy. I'm too busy with my own goals. I can't afford to let a relationship interfere with my career, my plans, or my goals. And the result is we have many, many very lonely people. I remember when Janie and I were back in seminary some 30 years ago, we had a number of people who had come to the seminary there in Wilmore, Kentucky, and they had come from parts all around the world. And I would often kind of, you know, uh, ask them, you know, being from a different country, a different culture, you know, as they were kind of acclimating to the United States, I was always kind of curious to find, so what do you like about the United States? What do you dislike about the United States? And the one consistent dislike uh, was the lack of relationship among Americans. And, and they just talked about, you know, it, it was really weird for them to, you know, uh, to have very, very superficial relationships with Americans. Uh, Pastor Dave kind of talked about this, you know, last year. We've been trained in our culture when someone asks us how we're doing, we've been trained to say, fine, good, even if we're not. And, and they just found that odd that every time they would ask an American, how are you doing, it was always good, fine. 
They, they never ever encountered any other kind of a response. And they said often was, it, it was kind of a wall. You really could go no further in the conversation, in the relationship. And they kind of lamented that. And they, you know, would talk about, you know, how in their village or their, their community where there was just this very, very deep level of transparency and vulnerability and, and how helpful that was in building and nurturing strong um, relationships. The third effect uh, that we see from that is just frustration and despair. And, and we all know just from personal experience, if you place yourself at the center of the universe, pretty soon your world becomes very small and very meaningless. Self-centeredness never satisfies. There's more to life than just you. But if you make you all about it, if you make you, you know, the center of it, it's going to be meaningless. We need God, and we're not God, and we need one another. And I love that Dave kind of highlighted and talked about that last week. There is this desire in all of us to kind of be our own little gods, to be our own little islands. And as a matter of fact, it's been around since the very beginning of mankind. It's the first thing that the serpent said to Adam and Eve. You eat this fruit and you will be like gods. You'll be little gods. We want to be gods. We want the world to revolve around us. We want the world to be concerned and consumed with our needs and our desires. And again, we have to make that choice to step out of that to, uh, to come to that place where it becomes less and less about us and more and more about Jesus. Proverbs 28, 25 says, selfishness only causes trouble. And if that's true, and I believe it is true, what is the solution to self-centeredness? How do we begin to counteract the constant influence in our society, and we're bombarded with that message every day in a multitude of different ways. Where again, it's tempting us to make it about us and tempting us to put ourselves at the center of it all and to say, think only of yourself. Well, I think the Bible gives us three, and I'm gonna go through these kind of quickly. The Bible gives us kind of three solutions to self-centeredness. The first one is just building strong relationships. And, and again, I wanna emphasize the word strong. Man, a lot of us have a multitude of relationships. We have a lot of relationships, but there's no substance. There's no depth to them. And so again, we, we kind of want to build relationships, but we don't want to build strong relationships. And, and that's so important. How do we build strong relationships? Well, you kind of get interested and then you get invested in other people. Even Jesus did this. He modeled this for us. He developed relationships and invested in 12 guys and even narrowed that group of 12 down to kind of really three, Peter, Paul, and James. Jesus was around hundreds of people you read the Gospels, and, and Jesus, there would be times where he would just be surrounded by multitudes of people. But Jesus didn't try to have a deep, personal, intimate relationship 
with every person around him because it's just not possible. You only have so much time. You only have so much to give. So cultivate a few friendships. Pray and ask God, God, who are you leading me to? Who are you uh, leading me to invest in? Who are you leading me to, to develop that relationship, that strong relationship? And again, we need other people. We need friendships. We need strong friendships. We need accountability. We need people that are able to speak into our lives. And again, Pastor Dave talked about that last Sunday. And if you're sitting there and you're just saying, you know what, I don't have time to build strong relationships, then it tells me you're too busy. You're focusing on the wrong things. We need to make time for relationships, for our own health, our spiritual health. And again, it it helps us to become um, less self-centered. 1 uh, Corinthians 11, 11 says, in God's plan, men and women need each other. Caring about others and investing yourself in somebody else is the fastest way to get yourself, to get your focus off of you. And one of the purposes of the church is to build uh, relationships so that you're not selfish. And we call that fellowship. Ephesians 2.19 says, you are a member of God's very own family and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. There are people here this morning that God wants to use uh, in your life to build, to strengthen, to edify you. And there are people in this congregation God wants to use you to build, to strengthen, and to edify. It's a work that we are receiving of. It is a work that we are giving of uh, into other people's lives. I believe the one antidote that we need in a selfish society is a church family. Everybody needs a church family. We need a place where we can come and belong and and again become and discover who God is calling us to be. We're not lone rangers. We're never called to be lone rangers. We're never called to do this alone. When we don't have the strong relationships, when we get too busy for them, we tend to see only ourselves. So one of the best pieces is to build relationships is in the church. Hebrews 10.24 says, let us not give up the habit of meeting together. Instead, let us encourage one another. Basically, the writer there is saying, don't give up. And then again, COVID kind of, you know, it, 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 it gave people the ability to give up meeting together with other people. The Bible says, do not give that up. We need to get together. We need to fellowship. We need to pray with other Christians. You don't just attend. You need to participate. You need to share, to belong. And accountability oftentimes helps to keep us on track. We need to encourage each other. That's one of the reasons I discourage internet church, okay? By that I mean, instead of physically attending a place of worship, people stay home and they'll watch a service on the internet. And again, during COVID, many people were prevented from attending church in person and they kind of just got used to doing church online, whether their own church or they're just kind of tuning into a church that may be thousands of miles away from them. They got used to doing that. 
so that when we could, you know, when we were allowed to come back together and to begin to worship uh, together again for services, many people kind of just got used to watching um, online church services, and they're continuing to do that today. And I just believe that when the internet church takes the place of attending church in person, it has the potential to make people very passive and uninvolved. It's too easy. You get up in the morning in your PJs, you know, you kind of grab your cup of coffee, and then you just sit down in front of the uh, computer, you know, flip it on. There's just no interaction. Uh, You know, you're just kind of sitting there observing what's going on there on the screen. You don't have to interact with other people. And part of the benefit of attending church services in person is the interaction you have with other people. And I realize I'm preaching to the choir. You're all here. Uh, but again, uh, that, that's the first you know, antidote uh, to uh, counteract uh, the, the, the love of ourselves. Again, it's just building strong relationships. And one of the greatest places we can do that and should do that is here together with one another. Second solution to self-centeredness is just give yourself away. Jesus, I mean, he perfected the art of giving himself away. Give yourself away through some kind of service, some kind of ministry. I'm convinced to be spiritually and emotionally healthy and and balanced, everybody needs some form of service on at least a weekly basis where you're just voluntarily choosing to give yourself away, to give your time uh, towards somebody or something uh, other than yourself. I think we need it as a balance in our culture. Every one of us, you've got 168 hours a week. God doesn't want you to spend them all on yourself. I think you need a place of service where you can say, I'm just going to give myself away. I'm going to lay my life down in in this particular way, with this particular person, in this particular ministry. I'm going to make it all about what I can do to serve and to help them. You can do, you know, the community food bank, the community kitchen here uh, in our area uh, where you've prepared you know, prepare and serve meals. You know, even going into nursing home and just doing visits there sometimes, they're always looking for people to volunteer in nursing homes. Uh, Any of the, you know, ministries in our church, something where you're just giving yourself away without any personal benefit in return. Again, you need it for your health, your spiritual health, and you need it for balance. Ephesians 2.10 says, God has given us new lives from Christ Jesus, and get this, and long ago, he's talking about before you were ever even born, before your parents were even born, before their parents were even born, that long ago, if not longer, he says, long ago, God planned that we should spend these lives in helping others. That's the key. There's so many people who have an identity crisis right now. Who am I? What am I here for? What am I supposed to do with my life? 
I think the two greatest moments in our lives are the day we're born and the day we know why we were born. Two greatest aha moments in our lives. It says, long ago, he planned that we should spend these lives in helping others. That's what God wants us to do with our lives. When we talk about the will of God, again, we want to make it this big, mysterious, unknowable mystery. Right here, he's telling you, part of his will for our lives is that we're spending the life that we have in helping others. The final solution to self-centeredness is just practicing self-denial. And again, that's not a very popular word. Most people don't like listening to a message on self-denial. Most people don't like contemplating a lifestyle of self-denial. But it's in the Bible, and it's something that Jesus practiced, and he modeled it for us. Every day, we need to find at least one opportunity where we choose to do the thing of conviction rather than the thing of convenience. So much of our lives are built around, and so many of our pursuits are really about our conveniences and not about our convictions. Where you choose to do the right thing rather than doing the easy thing. Every day we need to find something where we can help others rather than just help ourselves. Ephesians 2, 4 says, look out for each other's interests, not just your own. The attitude you should have is the one Christ had. That word look in the, in the Greek, it is the word scopus, and it's where we kind of get the word microscope or telescope. And it means to survey, it really means to get a bigger view. He's saying pay attention to, focus in on the needs of others around you. Be sensitive, be open. Be considerate. Be aware of kind of what's going on. And then pay attention uh, to those needs that, that God's opening your eyes and your heart to. Matthew uh, 16, 24, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must. And again, that's not an option. He must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Again, that is a radical call. In our society where it says express yourself, assert yourself, indulge yourself, Jesus says deny yourself. Take up, pick up your cross and follow me. Now in those uh, days uh, of Jesus, a cross was not a pretty little emblem. Okay, it wasn't something that, you know, was designed to be worn, uh, you know, around the neck as a piece of jewelry on a gold chain. In Jesus' day, it was an instrument of death. It was an executioner's tool. Nobody took up their cross unless the Romans were going to nail them to it. Jesus is saying, if you would want to follow me, you've got to die to selfishness and die to self-centeredness. So what does it really mean to deny self? I mean, we can throw that term around, but in practicality and day-to-day living, what does that really look like? How would self-denial manifest itself in our lives? What does it really look like? What does it really mean to deny yourself? 
when you choose to serve your spouse or your children, when you choose to put their needs ahead of your own, that's self-denial. When you see other people's needs being met with abundance while your needs are far greater and, and you don't question God or fail to be grateful for what you have, that's denying yourself. And again, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, that, that finding that place of contentment, whether you're in great need or great prosperity, Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content in all circumstances. And then when we can find a place of contentment in all circumstances, regardless of how other people maybe are, are being blessed and, and, and God's just pouring things out upon them, but we can still be grateful for them and for us, that's, that's denying self. When you share your faith at work or school, knowing that you may be insulted, you may be persecuted or put down, that's denying yourself, putting the needs of someone else's salvation ahead of your own fears of what may happen if I share that message of salvation. When you tell the truth, even at great personal expense, that's denying yourself. When you place the comfort of others ahead of your own comfort, when you allow others to do a job that you know you're better trained to do. When you submit to authority over you in deference to God, even though you don't understand or maybe agree, that's denying yourself. When you can be content with less than the best of circumstances without griping or complaining. When you can accept interruptions that God places in your schedule and patiently endure irritations that's denying yourself. That is a key one for me. When people break promises to you and let you down, but you refuse to become bitter when you are misjudged unfairly and your motives are questioned and you don't retaliate, that is denying yourself. When you pay your fair share of taxes when everybody else is cheating, Janie and I just had a great conversation about that uh, last week. That is denying yourself. When you're content to let God settle the score and content to wait for your reward in heaven, that's denying yourself. Paul says when we have the attitude of Christ Jesus, that's denying ourselves. Jesus said only those who throw away their lives for my sake and the sake of the good news will ever know what it means to fully and to really live. You will never, ever find the fullness in this life without denying yourself, without taking up our crosses and following Jesus. So as we close this morning, I want to just give you kind of maybe an opportunity as we've kind of talked about just again uh, a wide a variety of what it really means to, to deny self uh, and, and to allow Christ to become greater and greater in our lives. Again, the only way that that happens is we become less and less. For him to increase, John said, I must decrease. So I want to just challenge you this morning. As we just close in prayer this morning, I was just going to pray that the Holy Spirit would just highlight one area 
that maybe where, where God's kind of calling and God's leading you uh, to allow him to become greater and greater in that particular area of your life. It may be some of what I already covered. It may be something you've already been working at. It's just a recommitment, a re-upping of saying, I, I want to continue uh, to allow the Holy Spirit to work, to chip away uh, at that area. It may be something that God just kind of brings uh, to a new revelation uh, here this morning. But whatever that is, is that there would just kind of be a place this morning where there would just be a release, a surrendering, a giving of yourself into that, where you would just say in that particular area of your life, God, I really need to work at practice self-denial in this one area of my life. And so Father, this morning we just come to you. And God, you see our hearts. You know us better than we know ourselves. And God, with all that's going on both in, in the good in the not so good areas of our life, God. You see all of that and you love us unconditionally. And out of that place of, of great love for us, God, that unconditional, that boundless love that you have for us, that God, you are working and you desire to do greater and deeper works in us. And part of that greater, deeper work involves self-denial, where we make that choice. We just make that affirmation, that decision, that in order for you to become greater and greater, I must become less and less. And God, it is a choice. So God, this morning, as you again see our hearts, and out of that great place of love for us, that God, you would begin to maybe highlight one or two areas, God, where you would call us to allow you to increase in that particular area and for us to decrease in that particular area. Where God, maybe where we've really become very self-absorbed and self-focused, we're making it about us. And God, you wanna make it about something else. That God, we would yield, that we would repent again. It, we thank you for that kindness that leads us to repentance. It's a good word. And we thank you, God, that self-denial is a pathway to the freedom that you have come to bring us. So God, this morning as we again just acknowledge your desire to increase in us, that God, you would highlight just an area and God, we would just come to you this morning and God, we would say that we're, we're sorry, God. We repent that we've made that about us. That we haven't been walking in self-denial in that particular area, God. And we, we receive your forgiveness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy in that area of our lives. And God, we ask now for your strength. We ask for your wisdom. We ask for boldness. We ask for courage this morning. That God, as we deny ourselves, as we take up our cross, and as we follow you, that God, we're gonna begin to experience blessings and victory. That God, we're gonna begin to see you moving in not just greater ways in our lives, but in greater ways, God, that we choose to exercise self-denial. 
So Father, this morning we just again thank you for this opportunity to celebrate the freedoms we have in this country, but more so, Father, to celebrate the great freedoms we have in you. And we thank you for all of the freedoms that you've given to us through your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, again, we just commit ourselves afresh and anew to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love one another as we love ourselves. And we can only do that through Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. I just invite Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.